You know, I <clears throat> I laugh. You know, I talked with some of my uh, the staff that I was with at my former church occasionally, and we've we've laughed about what I'm about to tell you is that sometimes we say we feel like we do uh, a good thirty percent of our pastoral ministry in Ingalls. Um, because a lot of times when I see you, I, out on the town, I see you there. Right? Like, I, I can see two or three people right now that I have seen in Ingalls this week. I don't know if you saw me, because I'm a creeper. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be in one aisle, and I'll see you, and you'll be, you know, debating dinner, what are you going to buy? And I'm like, I'm not going to get in, in that. But I, I, I do see you. Um, so, I'm in Ingalls one day, and I'm going through the register, <clears throat> and I pay with my American Express card. Now, one of the reasons that I, this, I, I, this is part of the, the illustration. I had to mention that. The reason that my wife and I use American Express is because there's a weird quirk with that credit card. You have to pay it off at the end of the month. That is the standard way this card works. They consider it a perk to get pay over time. But if you're carrying a balance, you know it's not a perk to pay over time because it's not free to pay over time, is it? No. That's how they make their money. They make their money with you having the convenience of being able to pay for something you're getting now later. But they're going to charge you a premium, right? You get that interest rate. So I pay with my card. And the, the cashier that was ringing me up said, man, I need to get me one of those. And I, I had a Dave Ramsey moment. If you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, then you know what I'm about to say. Of course, me talking about a credit card while also talking about Dave Ramsey is kind of funny. But immediately warning bells and sirens started going off in my head. And I said, why exactly? Because this was very clearly a high schooler. I said, why do you want a credit card? I said, because I ain't got no money. <laughs> and I said, I said, you get a credit card, you still won't. She said, what you talking about? She said, you get a credit card, you put things on it. I said, yeah, but let me do a little bit of math with you. And I said, what kind of credit limit you want? $10,000 credit limit sound good to you? Yeah, man, I take $10,000. Okay. What you going to buy with $10,000? I started listing things off. I said, okay, let's say you spend your whole credit limit. You put $10,000 on that credit card. And you make the minimum payments all year long. Yeah, man, I only got to pay like $50 a month. Okay. At the end of the year, how much is your credit card bill if you pay the minimum? Well, let's see. It's $50 times 12. So my credit card bill is probably $9,400. No. You've never had credit before, so your interest rate is probably somewhere around 20%. Make math easy. So 20%, $10,000 is $2,000. And you've just been paying the minimum. So you had not knocked this down at all. So at the end of the year, your bill is going to be $12,000. But I only spent ten. <laughs> it's the interest that kills you. I said, that's, if, that's just that year. How much is it going to be the end of your second year if you make the minimum payment? 
14? No. Because now they're charging you interest on 12. Man, you scaring me. I said, good, I've done my job. And I took my groceries and I left. Albert Einstein said one time, one of the most powerful forces in the universe is compound interest. Interest will kill you, won't it? It can be a good thing if it's green. It can be a bad thing if it's red. Interest will kill you. The, the danger of, I can have it now. But there's always a payday later. And y'all, it's no different in Scripture. One of Satan's greatest temptations is think of what you can have when? Now. You can have it now. Yeah, there might be a cost later. But don't worry about that. Get what you want now. We'll settle up later. Stand with me for, out of respect of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 13. We're going to talk about the interest that will kill you. Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 9. Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Father, I pray that you would help us to take seriously what your word says today and not be caught in the trap of having it now because the interest will kill us. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I'm an expositor, which means that I take a book of Scripture and I work through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and I don't pick my pet topics. I promise you if I picked my pet topics the topic of hell would not be one of them. But y'all, the Bible talks about hell more than it talks about heaven. We like talking about heaven more than we like talking about hell. I like talking about heaven more than I like talking about hell. But I would be doing you a disservice as a pastor and leader if when Scripture brought up hell, I decided to talk about heaven instead. So today, we're going to talk about hell. First, I want us to see in this passage that there is nothing in this life worth giving up eternity over. There's nothing in this life worth giving up eternity over. I know it's bad grammar. If ending a sentence with a preposition is causing you heartburn, I tried to do it differently and I don't know how. So, we have a third angel... In verse 9, he's the third angel in a series of three making proclamations for the whole world to hear at this late hour in earth's history. And this angel issues a warning. This angel warns 
that if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. There's a lot of strong language in these verses. First, I want us to talk about the beast. Uh, We have been studying this book for a few weeks now, but if you missed the explanation of the beast, the beast is a member of what we will call the false trinity. That Satan wants to set him up as a false father. The beast is Satan's counterfeit Christ. What the, the person that Satan provides to the world to be its Messiah in the eyes of the lost. That everyone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ will be deceived by this beast. And will say, this is the one we've been waiting for all these years. He will finally make it right. He'll, he'll get the world in shape. He'll get the world in order. He'll finally fix everything that's wrong. So the beast is a false messiah. And the, uh, there's a second beast um, that functions as the false prophet, the false Holy Spirit, who functions to make the whole world, to convince the whole world to worship this false Christ. So there's a fake trinity that Satan is orchestrating here to combat the knowledge of, of the real triune God. The beast, the Antichrist has in Revelation chapter 12 an image set up in his honor and in his glory. And the false prophet has everyone bow down to it and worship it on pain of death if you do not. And as a show of allegiance and inclusion in the kingdom of the beast, Revelation 12 says that Rich, poor, small, great, free and slave will take a mark either on their, their, their right hand or their forehead. That, that, beast, that, that mark identifies you as one of the beast's people. And one of the reasons that you get this mark on your forehead and your hand, that you bow down to this image, is not just because you like this guy so much, although most of the world will, It's because of the very last little addendum that is in in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And I did not put this on your handout because we've already preached it. But Revelation 12, 17 reads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, y'all, have you ever been in a situation where you can't buy or you can't sell? I don't mean you don't have the money to do it. I mean you literally don't have the ability to buy or sell. Let me give you a, let me give you a terrifying uh, prospect. Not really terrifying. It was to me at the time. Uh, <clears throat> y'all remember when I came back last summer and I looked really stupid because I went down a slip and slide and broke my arm? You remember that? I was preaching in a, in a cast for a while. Um, I was instructed by folks here who knew what they were doing to go to uh, uh, Augusta Sports Medicine to have the, the, the orthopedic doctors there look at my arm. So I made an appointment at their, their satellite office in Thompson, and they said, we can fit you in like tomorrow. Just show up. And this was at the end of the day. Okay. Well, I had my x-ray disc, and I had everything. I needed to take it into them. Uh, there was only one problem. The next morning, when she got up to drive to work, Emily drove the car to work that had my x-ray disc in it. And I had to take it to Augusta Sports Medicine. No big problem, right? You just go to Augusta and get the disc. Well, I had no gas in my car. I didn't know that. 
So no big problem, right? I put gas in the car and I go to Augusta. There was one more problem. Emily's car also contained my wallet. Remember, big picture, low detail. Okay? I told you that. Right? I, I didn't. All I thought was, well, this is easy. I'll just take the disc. Yeah, Josh, where's the disc? Where's your wallet? Do you have gas in the car? I don't know. So, I don't have any cash. It's another big mistake. Don't have any cash. I don't have my wallet. I don't have my x-ray disc. What am I going to do? I've got to somehow make it to Augusta, make it to Thompson, and make it back home, and I don't have any money. I don't have my cards. I don't, fortunately, Apple Pay. The gas station takes Apple Pay. And I actually had, I think I actually had to set it up to be able to do that. Because for a while, I couldn't buy. I couldn't sell. I felt totally hopeless and was kind of frantic because it was a blessing that I even got that appointment with the doctor. And when you can't buy and you can't sell, man, what are you going to do? Now, imagine it's not that your arm is broken. You got two kids at the house and you got to put food on the table. You got medical bills. And you've been barred from spending any money or making any transactions unless you take this mark. And if you don't take the mark, not only do you die, but those kids who are waiting on food, your spouse who needs that pill, It just got heavy, didn't it? Being barred from the economic system really makes you ask some questions. Is it really that big of a deal to take this mark? Is it really that big of a deal to just, just, just bow down, Shadrach? Just bow down, Meshach. I better go, it's just a statue. It's not that big of a deal. Is it worth being thrown into a fiery furnace over when it's a little bit of ink or it's just a few seconds of bowing down. It's not that big of a deal. Just to, God knows your heart. That's the scary thing. Because the angel, does the angel give any outs? Does he give any explain it away? Does he give any uh, fine print? No. This mark, this bowing down, is allegiance to a false god. It's proclaiming to the entire world that my now, my forever is dependent on this guy. He's going to be my provision. He's going to be my safety. He's going to be my provider. And I will permanently, indelibly mark it on me that I will bow to His image and I will take His name upon my body and I, I'm, in, I'm involved, I'm included. The angel says the response is that you will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God poured out full strength into the cup of His indignation. Now that's interesting because immediately prior to this, we heard that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So... God's almost saying, oh, you want wine? 
A lot of people think the wine at the beginning of the wedding is typically when they set out the strong stuff, but God saves the strongest wine for the end. You remember the miracle of the wine at Canaan? So usually the wine at the beginning is the strong stuff, but you've saved the good stuff for the end. This is kind of a flip on that. You thought Babylon's was strong? It's the interest that kills you. It's the later that's stronger. This is very similar to those of you who heard me reference Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is very similar to the story in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar sets up his image and says, bow down, and if you don't, you go into the furnace. In that story, the ones who didn't bow down to the image went into the furnace only to discover that their faithfulness saved them. In this story, those who do bow down to the furnace avoid starvation and execution now only to discover that their faithlessness will send them into the furnace. So Josh, what? the market cannot even be taken right now. Why are you spending so much time talking about something that we can't even do? Well, it's because you might not be able to take the literal mark right now, but you can make the same decision. What decision is that? That I don't need God, I can get what I need to survive and have my life right now without Him. I don't need God, I've got Him. I don't need God, I've got her. I don't need God, I've got this job. I don't need God, I've got my money. I don't need God, I've got my reputation. I don't need God, I've got my sports team. I don't need God, I've got my buddies. I don't need God, I've got the bottle. I don't need God, I've got drugs. I don't need God, I've got this. And you can fill it in with any number of things and say, I will bow down to that image and I will take that mark. I will wear the t-shirt, I will post it on social media, I will let every Everybody know that this is my God. My life revolves around that. And that's what I'm hitching my wagon to. You might not be able to take this mark, but I promise you, you can put other ones on yourself. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, that's Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Those of you who know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how many names of other people in front of that image to Nebuchadnezzar do you know their names? You don't know anybody. You know those three. Why do you know those three? Their faithfulness. They were saved. Everyone else vanishes from the pages of history. We don't know who they are. Jesus asked the question, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. How much are you willing to lose in order to be faithful to Christ? Stapleton Baptist, there are things in your life that if you want to be faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ, you don't get to have. 
You don't get to live the same life that your co-workers and your co-workers' kids and your co-workers' parents or your friends. You don't get to live the same life if you want to be faithful and obedient to Jesus. Because at some point, the world is going to run up against Christ and the world is going to say, bow to me, and Jesus is going to demand your allegiance and you're going to have to pick. You're going to have to decide who you want to bow down to. And there is nothing on earth that is worth eternity. Nothing. Nothing worldly that is worth eternity, rather, I should say. Whether it's the mark or something less final, would you rather have your life now than give it up to Jesus? Would you be willing to gain the world but lose your soul? Ask yourself that question. What on this earth is keeping you from being wholly devoted to Christ? Because if you would rather have that than your devotion to Christ, man, you're just primed and ready waiting for the mark. You're setting yourself up for it. There's nothing on this earth that is worth eternity. And second, I want us to see that there's nothing in this life that is worth going to hell over. Starting in the second half of verse 10, the one, let's talk about the one who takes the mark. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Basic Bible study technique. When you're reading your Bible, when you're studying it personally, when you read a passage and you see something repeated, that lets you know it's important. Now, I'm not saying that if, it, if the Bible only says it one time, it's not important. Y'all, get, y'all, Margaret was in a mood this morning. Okay, I've told Emily before that one of the greatest blessings of Margaret that comes with a little bit of, of bitterness afterward is that she is full of sermon illustrations. But to get the really good illustration, sometimes you get the, ah! you know, so this was one of those things. So, you know, this morning, you know, she had already eaten her Fruit Loops and she started telling us she wanted an apple bar, like the little Nutri-Grain bar. And we're like, no, baby, that's too much sugar. Do you want some fruit? Yeah. Do you want peaches? Yeah. I don't want that. Do you want pears? Yeah. I don't want that. We are broken, fallen people who, for the life of us, will not listen to God. We just flat won't do it. And we don't expect there to ever be discipline. But when you read your Bible over and over and over and over and over, you see God saying things 
over and over and over and over and disciplining over and over and over and over and over again. And all y'all with kids, here's the upshot. Have you ever looked at your kid and said, don't make me say this more than once? Now you said it one time, does that mean it's not important? But if you say it two or three times, you really intend your children to get it, don't you? When you look at this passage, listen, tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and presence of Lamb, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. That is three times in the space of two verses that torment is mentioned. Josh, are you trying to scare me? Yes! Well, I didn't come to church to be scared. I know, if you came to church to be scared, then you, you, I, I would question that. But y'all, sometimes when you come to hear the Word of God, the Word of God is scary because it warns us. I don't, I don't relish preaching hell. I don't look forward to it. I don't like it. Because if the idea of hell excites you and makes you happy, I've, I've got a great Christian counselor that I want to refer you to. And I'm not saying that as a joke. Hell should not make anybody happy. I do not wish hell on my worst enemy. Because I promise you, anything that somebody could do to me is nothing worse than what I did to Christ. What I did to Christ, sinning against Him, that's the worst thing that could be done in the universe. And nobody can do anything to me that even compares to that. My worst enemy, I want them to repent. I want them to know Jesus Christ. Because if they become a Christian, I've destroyed my enemy and they've become my friend. Okay? I don't want to see somebody... You know, I don't sit there at night going, I can't believe they did that to me. Hell's going to be extra hot and I'm going to warm my feet by the fire. I don't do that. Because hell scares me to death. Not for me, because I know Jesus. But the thought of it is sobering. And when I share the gospel with somebody and they say, No, nah, preacher, I appreciate it, but that's not for me. Three times in two verses, the angel reminds us of the torment of hell. And I think we define it wrongly. A lot. That we often present hell as a place that is absent the presence of God. You ever heard somebody define hell that way? That hell is separation from God forever? There's only one problem with that. The Bible doesn't say that. Look right here. Who is the torment in the presence of? In the presence of? Of the holy angels and in the presence of who? The Lamb. Satan doesn't rule hell. You know who rules hell? Jesus. He's in charge there. He's in charge everywhere. The difference between hell and heaven is in heaven you are in the presence forever of the love and mercy and grace and goodness and kindness of Jesus. Hell is where you choose to go when you don't want any of that. But you don't choose to be apart from God. You choose to be apart from His love. 
None of the wrath of God is in heaven. None of the mercy of God is in hell. In Sunday school this morning, we we were studying the flood in Genesis 7 through 9. People like to paint God as he was mean and vindictive and judgmental in the Old Testament, but he's nice and merciful and good and kind in the New Testament. Y'all, God is the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If God judges sin in the Old Testament, God judges sin in the New Testament. God's merciful in the New Testament, he's merciful in the Old Testament. God repeatedly gives time and time and time and time and time and time and time. But eventually his patience runs out. The New Testament witness regarding hell is one of conscious eternal torment. It's not one of annihilation. It's not one of not knowing not knowing anything, not feeling anything, not seeing anything. It's not one just of darkness and loneliness. It is conscious eternal torment described as fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and of Christ. The other explanations of what hell is, regardless of their motivation, ignore what Scripture says. How bad is it? That Jesus says in Mark 9, verses 43 through 44, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, if you go to Mark 9 and you read verses 43 through 44, you'll notice that Jesus repeats this pattern two more times after He says that. Does Jesus mean literally cut off your hand? That's not what he's getting at in that sermon. What Jesus is saying in that particular passage is, if there is something in your life that is causing you to live a lifestyle of sin rather than follow God, he doesn't say battle it. He doesn't say resist it. He says cut it out. Remove it entirely. There is nothing that you could include in your life right now that would make going to hell over it worth it. Nothing. And no one. That boyfriend, that girlfriend, that, that job, that reputation, that money, that you will not surely die. Did he really tell you you couldn't have any of this? God's just holding out on you because he knows as soon as you take of the fruit of that job or of that relationship, or of that recognition, as soon as you take the fruit of that, you're going to be more like Him. You won't need Him anymore. That's why God doesn't want you to have that. Take a bite and see. It's good. It's pleasant to the eye. It's good for food. It's desirable to make one whatever it is you want to be. And then you reach up and you take the, tr- the fruit of the forbidden tree, and next thing you know, you find yourself dead and in hell. That's always been Satan's play. God's not actually going to do anything. He's not really serious. Satan knows exactly how serious God is about hell because Satan's got a reserved spot. He just wants company. Nobody knows that better than him. Somebody say, when Satan reminds you about your past, remind him about his future. 
But if you don't come to Christ, you share a future with Him. Now, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. I'm not fussing at you. I'm not screaming at you. I'm begging you. Come to Jesus Christ and you don't have to worry about hell. When the Bible describes hell, it's to keep you from ending up there. Don't explain it away. Don't try and make hell better than the Bible says it. Just avoid it. Just come to Jesus and be saved. That Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, took the penalty for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell for them. If there was nothing to be done about hell, then God wouldn't have even told us about it. But there is something to be done about it. He sent His Son to keep you from there. Come to Jesus and you don't have to worry about hell anymore. So there's there's nothing in this life that is worth going to hell over. And then finally, there's nothing in this life. And I, I can't end it on a downer. There's nothing in this life that compares to eternal reward either. Okay? So, I'm not just going to preach the gospel from a negative point of view this morning. When I say negative, you say, Josh, how can you preach the gospel negatively? Preaching the gospel negatively is saying, come to Jesus so that you won't dot, 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 dot. Okay? It's what you don't get if you come to Jesus. Now... See, God God always says, it's not just the negative, it's the positive. If you don't get this when you come to Jesus, what do you get? Look at verse 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works Follow them. What does it mean? Here is the patience of the saints. The impatience of the lost are, I've got to have it now. I've got to have my food now. I've got to have this now. I've got to have my life now. I've got to have all of this now because I can't buy. I can't sell. I'm completely apart from the world. I've got to have it now. I've got to be involved. Give me the mark. I've got to go to the store. Give me the mark. I've got to go to the doctor. Give me the mark. And the Christian says, heaven's better. Do what you will. Does that sound crazy? Not if your eyes are trained in the right place. Not if your eyes are trained in the right place. Your life right now is like a drop of water and eternity is like the ocean. Every year that you have that feels like forever to you compared to eternity just completely vanishes in significance. If you were to kill me right now, a greater tragedy would be me living 85 years and dying without Christ. Because the short amount of suffering I would suffer right now, 25,000 years from now, I'm not going to care about. Likewise, 85 years of living for me, 25,000 years from now, I'll still regret. 
Here's the patience of the saints. Rather have heaven than earth. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the same group. Because they keep the commandments and faith of Jesus, they neither take the mark nor worship the beast in the image. Go back and read in Daniel the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you know that if you don't bow down, you're going to die? You're going to go into the furnace? We will not bow down, O king, because we believe that even if you throw us into the furnace, our God will save us. But even if He does not, we're still not going to bow. And Babylon's incredulous. It's funny that it's Babylon again in that story, isn't it? It's always Babylon telling us to bow down. And it's always God saving us when we don't. But it's not the end of the story. Eventually they die. They die in the Lord. But what does the Spirit say? Blessed are they who die in the Lord from now on that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Patience is foregoing something now in order to have something better later. In this case, the saints view life in heaven, life on the new heaven and new earth, life with Christ as better than life now. So they're willing to die at the hands of the beast rather than enjoy life on a broken earth for a short period of time. Y'all, this place is busted. Seriously. Look at this earth. Look how busted it is. You know, this body is busted. I told my mom the other day, I said, my foot hurts. She said, what'd you do? I said, nothing. She said, where does it hurt? I said, right here on the side of my right foot. She said, oh, where you broke it when you were like 11? And I said, yeah. But that was when I was 11. She said, how old are you? I said, I'm 30. She said, yep, they start coming back. I said, that's not good. And she said, no, it's not good. Welcome to the fallen world, son. You know what? I... I don't go to the gym because I like to. I go to the gym because if I don't, my back starts hurting. And my foot hurts. And I get colds quicker and my nose gets stuffy and I can't taste the food that I eat. (laughs) And then I get my health assessment for my insurance. And they're like, hey, you should probably bring this number down. And I'm like, but then I can't eat what I want. Welcome to the fallen world, son. Do you really want to live eternally like this? No, I want a new body. I want a new heaven. I want a new earth. I want one where my foot doesn't hurt. And where I can eat what God gives me and not worry that it's going to make my body fall apart. I want pure and perfect relationships with all of my friends and with all of my family. Devoid of sin. Are you really willing to give all of that up so that you can have 85 years to live in this busted planet the way you want to and then die and go to hell and regret what everybody in heaven is enjoying? Is that really what you want to do? But Josh, you don't understand. What I got here is so good. Yeah, until it's not. Think of what 
Jesus is offering you. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It all boils down to what you want most. Do you want a short, low-quality life now or perfect, eternal life later? You can't have both. can't have both. If you love Jesus, if you have given your life to Christ, this life, this short little period, is the closest to hell you will ever get. But if you reject Christ, this short little pathetic life that we live right now is the closest to heaven you will ever get. What you do with Jesus makes all the difference. Now, Joyce is about to come up here, and we're about to sing an invitation hymn. We're going to sing hymn number 290. I am thine, O Lord. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, this hymn is a prayer. This is a chance for you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to say, you know what? Hell sounds pretty bad. I don't really want that. Say, well, Josh, I don't know if I like being scared out of hell. Well, I just did my best to encourage you in the heaven too. I don't know which one you would rather have. Scripture does both. Jesus loves you. This I know. Where the Bible tells me so. And the gospel is that Jesus, Jesus looks at every person in this room and says, you will only go to hell over my dead body. You've got to walk past him if you want to go there. Because he's done everything possible to keep you out. I'm going to pray and we'll stand and sing together. If you need to come, we come. I'll be waiting.